You are listening to Vida Abundante. We have started a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. Here's Pastor Jonathan Gallardo. So, we are in chapter 1, and I'm going to read the beginning verses that we've already discussed in the past, and we're going to jump into a new section for today. In chapter 1, we start off with the famous words in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's a new section. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So that's the section that we will be discussing today. It's an interesting interruption that we have in this prologue. Remember, we, the, the section that we've been studying is the, are the first 18 verses of, of chapter 1. And so we have this, this wonderful theological uh, presentation in 18 verses, and we see that immediately from the beginning five verses about the divinity of this word or the logos, which we know is Jesus Christ, and then we get this weird type of interruption with this presentation of a man named John, and as we will read later on, we will find out that this is John the Baptist or the one who we know as the one that would baptize in Jesus' time. This is Jesus' cousin. I'm not going to spend too much time on him at this moment because in verse 19, after the prologue, we'll get a lot more information about John. But this is an interesting interruption. This is, this is rather interesting because it, it, it interrupts this wonderful theological expression that John, the writer, has been giving, giving us. I mean, we have this wonderful understanding of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we get this wonderful presentation of the divinity of Christ. And then we have here this, this interruption with John. So the question is, why is this here? And so I'm going to read to you verse 8 that will give us a better understanding of why this, these verses are in the middle of this prologue. So go back with me to verse 8. And it says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So two reasons why this, this, these verses are presented in this introduction. One of the reasons, uh, not the main reasons, but there seems to be a group of people that have confused John, the baptizer, with one that was promise from the old day. Remember we read at the beginning of the service, we were reading in our scripture reading Malachi. So there was this sense of a person that was going to come to, give, to be the light. And so there was a confusion going around in that time. As we know, later on in the Gospel of John itself, we'll see that people misunderstood who Jesus was too. And so here, John is, is really clearing up that John the Baptist is not the light. He's kind of putting it at the forefront saying, 
Although all of you may be confused and may think this is going on or that he is the light, he is not the light. So that's the main reason why John the Gospel writer is presenting this at the very beginning of, the, of, of, of this chapter 1. He is not the light. He wants to bring clarity to this issue. So remember, we started speaking on the Gospel of John because the forefront of John the writer's theology or his mind and his heart is to present to us the person of Jesus Christ. Basically, without understanding who Jesus Christ is, we have no true Christianity. We have no true faith if we don't understand, first of all, who is Jesus? So that question will always linger and that question will always be presented to you. Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand what he has done? Do you understand the implications of him arriving as promised? Or is he just some guy that hung on a cross and gave us Christmas and Easter? Well, what is Jesus? And so John is clearing this up because he wants to make sure that the identity of Christ is not found in somebody else. The Messiah identity, the light identity is not in anyone else. And so he clearly puts out this wonderful verse that says, He is not the light, but he came to testify about the true light. So this is what John is doing as he clears this up, and then in verse 25, later on we'll read in verse 25, the Pharisees and the religious leaders even asked John the Baptist who he was, because they were like trying to get this, his identity cleared up right, and they, they mistook it. So some of them thought that he was a prophet, some of them thought that he was the main dude, the main light, and they were even asking him what this whole ordeal was all about. But John, the author seeks to clarify this identity to make us understand who we are speaking about. That the greatest part of life, the greatest existence, the part of our existence here on earth is this understanding of Jesus Christ. Now that's a bold claim, but that's what John, the gospel writer, is getting us to understand. We are here and we've, we've been given this wonderful light that is Jesus Christ, and what are you going to do with it? What do you know about that, and how has that affected your personal life? So these verses are very interesting, and, and they, they present to us in two verses, or in three verses, the, the wonderful um, aspect of John's, the author's understanding of Jesus Christ. So if you are a note taker, I'm going to break this up in three parts. The first part is understanding God's plan, which we will read in verse 6. The second part is understanding God's messenger, which we will read in verse 7. And the third and final part is understanding God's purpose, which is also found in verse 7. We already, by way of introduction, we've already understood verse 8 and why that is there and why that needed to be said to clarify the identity of Christ. And so now we're going to dig in to understand why John is writing about John the Baptist. I know it's going to get confusing because we're going to be talking about John. What John is he talking about? So I'm going to often say John the Gospel writer or John the Baptist so that we could identify both. So let's start right off from the beginning. Let's start off talking about God's plan. It's not a famous song. This is God's plan in the book of John. Verse 6. Let's start off back at verse 6. There was a man. So let's stop right there. This is a wonderful introduction to 
John the Baptist. Remember how we started off in verse 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. So here we have this wonderful contrast between the introduction of John and the introduction of Jesus. Now this has to be said, friends. This has to be said in the first century because of various confusing insight to the person and work of the coming Messiah. You have to remember that in the first century, prior to John the Baptist, we have 430 years of silence. So there is this thing that we've called the intertestamental period. So the, the period between Malachi, or better yet, ne, uh, Ezra and Nahum, uh, all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, or the New Testament era, or the first century, when Jesus is around. There's 430 years that we aren't very clear on, biblically. Now there's a lot of historicity and a lot of historical uh, Pointing, a lot of historical documents pointing back to that time period. As a matter of fact, during that time period, we have this wonderful character that maybe a lot of you guys like and like to watch movies about, which is Alexander the Great, who, who reigned after the Persian Empire, and he did a lot of amazing things and a lot of conquering. So we have, in that intertestamental period, we have this person like Alexander the Great. Now Alexander the Great then leads off, and, and then we have this Hasmonean Empire coming in, and then we have a Jewish reign type of empire between the years 200 BC all the way to the first century. And in those 200 years where this, this, these Jewish leaders start rising up against this uncoming, uncoming uh, empire called the Roman Empire. How many of you guys have heard of the Roman Empire? The Roman Empire starts coming in, but we get this Jewish revolt and we get various books written during the time of this intertestamental period. Now, the books are not considered canonical, or they're not considered part of our canon in the Bible. We only have 66 books, but there is Jewish versions of the Bible, and Roman Catholic versions of the Bible, and Eastern Orthodox versions of the Bible that include a huge number of extra-biblical writings. And this is not a doctrine of the Word of God class, but there is a sense of that you should know that during this intertestamental period, there was writings going on, but that minimized the effect of God's strong Word. We have 14 or 15 apocryphal books that have come to us, including First and Second Maccabees, which is a little bit some weird history. We have a book called Bell and the Dragon in this intertestamental period. Bell and the Dragon is about the prophet Daniel slaying Bell, which was a demonic idol, and then going out like, like straight up medieval uh, knights and going up and slaying a dragon and stabbing him in the mouth and all this fire coming out. It's, it's an interesting read. It's about 40-something verses, so it's not a big, long book. But that's what we get during this intertestamental period. Get some weird writings and some weird... Um, additions to books like Esther and the book of Daniel. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on. So during this moment, when John the Baptist comes into the scene, this is everything that has been taught or has been understood. So in a basic sense, it's the first medieval period of the church. We have a dark moment. So understanding God's plan 
should get us to understand his purpose and his context where he is going to achieve this plan and why John the Baptist is such an important figure. So he's coming into a period that is dark, a period that is hidden, a period that has a lot of weird writings, a period that has kind of minimized the importance of God's word by elaborating all of these biblical narratives and put their own twist to it. So it's kind of people were trying to make remakes of good movies, and you know how that works out. So, so it's, it's an interesting moment, and so God in his divine plan comes in, and he sends us a messenger to clear up a lot of the work and to clear up this plan and purpose. A place of darkness was coming in, and this man, John the Baptist, though he was not the light, was serving as God's messenger, was serving as God's instrument and agent to bring light and to present the light into this dark period. So we have this contrast of the divinity of Christ in the beginning of the Gospel of John, and then we have this contrast of, 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 of John the Gospel writer clearing up that this is just a man that we're talking about in John the Baptist, and then we get this wonderful word that in the Greek it says apostello, which is the, the function of an apostle, and that's where we get this, our modern translation, apostle, which was Someone who was commissioned to or on a mission sent by God himself. And I love the grammar in all of this because we get to understand that in the past tense and in the aorist tense of these verbs and allocations of lexical understanding, we get historical data here. So what John the author writer is doing is presenting to us God's plan. This isn't arbitrary. This isn't God just thinking like, oh, John the Baptist looks like a good dude. He's pretty chill. Let me use him to bring, to, 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 uh, bring in Jesus. No, 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 no. If you read the, the book of Luke and the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew, you'll understand that that is not an arbitrary choice. This was all done within God's plan to bring in and present the light. God sends this messenger, this apostello or this apostle into the mission field of darkness and he has a purpose in heart and in mind. And we're going to get to that in verses 19 and on, but this is just this brief introduction because it's right here in the middle of the prologue. So he is sent. He is not only a man-man, like flesh and bones, but he has been sent. By who? By God. He has been sent by God, commissioned by God, so therefore it clarifies his authority. He has authority in this world because he has been sent by God. If you understand the Old Testament a little bit, and if you've actually read the Old Testament a bit, you'll understand that during certain periods in time in God's people, with God's people, God had to send messengers. God had to send what they, what they used to be called as judges or, or previous kings and then came into this concept, this Nabim or the prophets that would come in to, the, to this Old Testament period during certain times when people needed guidance. You read the Old Testament and you figure out that a lot of times the Old Testament people, the, is the people of Israel, they were lost 
They were confused. They had no direction. So God in his all mercy and his all grace would send people like Moses. How many of you guys remember Moses? People like the judges, people like Samuel, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah would come in being sent by God with a message. And the message was often to follow along God's plan, to do as God spoke and they would live. So this is why this presentation of John is so important, because we not only see the emphasis on the messenger, but we see the emphasis on the one who sends. God in his grace gives this world messengers to announce about the light. So if you pause for a bit here, the church has been doing this function for 2,000 years. So John is kind of like our first official church evangelist, if we can say that. I mean, he's not going out Saturday mornings knocking on people's doors and ringing the doorbell at 6.30 in the morning and saying, hello, can I talk to you about Jesus today? They get the door slammed in his face. He's not going out there evangelizing per se in our sense of the word, but he is the first to bring a presentation of Jesus Christ. He's fulfilling a role that the church will later fulfill for themselves. And we should still be fulfilling that role today. It's not like the job is done. There is darkness in this world, and this world needs a presentation of the gospel. And friends, that's why you're here. It's not just so that you could come chill, sit down, drink some coffee, and relax. You get fed, you get understanding, so that you go give off what the word of God has taught you. So I'm not up here trying to crack jokes or entertaining you with wonderful stories and, oh, yesterday me and my family did this. And I'm not here to entertain you and, and kind of give you like this cool sense of feeling like, oh, come chill, relax with us. Everything's a good. No, 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 I'm not here to do that. I'm here to give you the God, God's word so that you can use God's word to impact this word, to show the light outside. So you need to understand that part of John's role is to do that, and that's his sole purpose, which gives us a foreshadowing of the church to come. So John's life is before God, and, and, and it's, he's the agent of God to bring this ministry to, to pass. This is, I love this because we get in verse 6, there was a man. So here we, we don't see the emphasis too much on the man. We're getting the plan of God in action. Sent from God, the apostle of God, whose name was John. And, and in the in Hellenistic period, John was very typical. It was a very famous name. And so it's kind of like saying, in, in our context for the Hispanic culture, his name was Jose. You know, his name was a basic name that we all you know, can kind of identify, oh, yeah, his name was Jose. Yeah, yeah, we know there's, a, there's about a million Jose's in the world today or more. So this, this minimizing the messenger is bringing to light the one who is sending. So I don't want you to get lost in this. I don't want you to get lost in, 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 in really thinking that today is about John the Baptist. Although it's introduced, it's more on the one who is sending him. And so his life 
has always gone before in the, near, in, in the synoptic gospel. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they always bring John first into the picture. They outline his ministry, but it's always in preparation for Jesus, for the ministry of Jesus. And I love how John's gospel is so different that he doesn't do that. He presents Jesus in eternity past, and then he talks to us a little bit about John, and then he goes on to talk more about the light and Jesus Christ. I love that. And this is, once again, John's emphasis, John the gospel writer's emphasis on bringing to us this understanding of who Jesus Christ is. My prayer for you is that as you come more and learn about the word of God more here, you become clearer on the person of Jesus Christ because that will shape your life and that will shape your message and, and your lifestyle will be shaped on your understanding of who Jesus Christ is. So a lot of people that say that they're Christian live a lifestyle that doesn't reflect that they know Jesus. They know about Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus really is because their lifestyles do not reflect it one bit. So I want to bring this, uh, this message a little bit clearer to you and, and get you to understand why John is, is, is coming into the picture as a man sent from God, as an agent sent from God that's foreshadowing our, our job in 2019 and, and, and forward. This is what we're supposed to be doing, showing God's message and preaching God's message and giving people Jesus Christ. We're not offering anything else here. We're not offering prosperity. We're not offering a better life. We're not offering seven steps to becoming a better person. We're not offering motivation. We're not giving motivational speeches here. We're presenting Jesus Christ. That's our sole purpose. And I don't want you guys to be confused on this. Once again, this message gets cleared up as we begin to focus a bit more on God's plan. And his plan is a messenger or an apostle that is being sent and chosen permanently in God. If you understand a little bit the, the language here, a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. And in this coming... The, the way it is in, in, in the Greek context, it's, it's talking about a past imperfect. So we get this understanding that God is bringing this man into the picture, making him, forming him to take shape in what he will accomplish in the first century. And so God chooses him. And once again, the construction of this choosing of John is in the passive sense. So in the grammar, it's a passive verb, which means John had no choice. John wasn't like, God, can, can I be can I be that dude? Can I be the messenger of the light? Can I be the, the first guy in, that interrupts 430 years of history? Can it be me? Can it be me, please, so that people could read about me? No, John's not worried about that because God is the one that's doing the choosing. So John is just existing, and God does the choosing. It's a passive verb that he has nothing to do with this choice. It's God coming in and grabbing him to do the message. So God is already at work, and he is putting his trust in the messenger. That, that has to hit home. Because this man is a man, flesh and bones. You and I understand how frail human beings are. 
You and I understand how much we mess up. You and I understand how much we've trusted other people and have been backstabbed. I don't want to take a, a survey on this, but many of us here have lost great friendships because of lack of trust. Something happened. They, I've, I've, I've been around church a long time, and I've been around people that have taken this, their best friend's girl and wife and married his best friend's It's insane. We've been around, so we understand what humanity can do. We understand the implications of a fallen nature and on humanity. So for God to put his trust on human beings, it's crazy. But it's God. And this is what he's done with us. You look at all the Old Testament saints, men and women of the Old Testament, frail human beings, yet God's purpose was accomplished time and time again. In the New Testament, we get an introduction. Later on, we'll read about some of the disciples that get presented as Jesus' main 12 dudes and, and some of the future uh, apostles in the, in, the, in the New Testament. And they're all human beings that carry within themselves a divine message. Because, my friends, this is why God does this. Because the message is never about those who carry we're used to, we live in a type of society that has idols, and we idolize a lot, and we tend to idolize a lot because we're captivated by men and women that do amazing things. I started watching a documentary yesterday night on Bill Gates, and I was like, wow, this man. We all know what he has done. We all know what people like Steve Jobs has done. We all know what people like Jeff Bezos has done. We all know these wonderful men and their companies. And so we gravitate to lifting up the man. And then in the news we get, oh, his wife left him. Oh, he was cheating on this. Oh, he was doing this. Oh, And we get like the, 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 the meat of it. We get the natural elements of fallen humanity in these wonderful so-called men. The problem is, in God's choosing and in God's life and in God's purpose, we don't need or we don't sense this wonderful awe of man. It is frail humanity that God chooses to bring his message across. He chose someone like Moses that stuttered. He chose someone like Paul that was a murderer of Christians and incarcerator of Christians. He chooses the weirdest type of people to get his message across. What it's proving here is that anyone can fulfill God's plan in their life if they're chosen by God to do so. So the fact that you're here as a church is a wonderful indication that there is a purpose in your life. And I know I hate that cliche statement. It's like one of the most played out cliches there is. There's a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. And we're all like, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard that all my life. Well, there is a clear purpose for you. It's to bring the message of Jesus Christ to this world. Now, you have other jobs and other opportunities to do great things. But your message and your purpose is defined by Scripture. And God chose you to do it. Even you. Being who you are, God chooses you 
to do so. He lifts up the prophets, he lifts up frail humanity, and he brings them to the front to proclaim this message. So we get this glimpse of God's plan at the beginning of verse 6. Now let's zoom in a little bit more into God's messenger. In verse 7, we get this introduction again. Verse 7 says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. This word witness is a very important word in the Gospel of John. So if, if, if you're not afraid to circle in your Bible, I want you to circle that every time you're studying the Gospel of John. And I'm trusting you that when you go home on Sundays, you are so impacted by God's Word that you'll be reading the Gospel of John even on your way home, right? Like that, that, that happens, right? You guys get home on Sunday, and then you guys are like, oh, my God, the Gospel of John is so amazing. Let me just keep reading the entire Gospel. Like I pray that that happens, right? That, that's normal, right? You guys even put it on your auto, auto, what is it, audio book and, and listen to it on your drive home. Well, that's just me uh, kind of having hopeful for, for Vida Abundante in English. But this is part of what we do. So when we study word, the Word of God, we get to highlight and see the importance of these words. And so when you come across witness, you have to understand that this means something in the Gospel of John. We are a witness of who? There is a witness of what? And this word witness in the Greek is where we get this word martyrdom from. The, the word martyr comes from the word martyrios, which is the Greek version of martyr. And so we all know what martyr is or what a martyr is. A martyr is someone that gives testimony of something but then gets martyred for bringing that testimony to light. So in a certain sense, in this play of words that John uses, he brings this word witness with this double meaning to it. We are martyrs, we are witnesses of a story, we are witnesses of a person, and that witness can possibly lead to death. Like, what a great invitation, right? Like, hey, be a Christian because you could die. Wow, well, you know, I'm cool. I'm not into all of that crazy stuff. Let, let me rest and relax a bit. I'm not into dying yet. I got... 20, 30, 40, 50 more years to live. But this is the invitation, and this is why John uses this word. This double meaning implies a sacrifice. And so at the very beginning of John's ministry, we are presented with his job description. You are a martyr. You are to bear witness about Christ and about the light, and that may cost you your life. And we will find out soon enough that John's head gets served on a platter. John dies for preaching about Jesus Christ. And that's normal for the first century church. For the second century church and for the third century church, martyrdom is a normal thing. People die for witnessing about Christ, and to a certain extent, even in our 21st century context, this is somewhat normal in certain parts of the world. We don't see it here in the United States, but it is rather normal in certain parts of Asia and Eastern Europe. We have to bring this to our heart. 
And, and, and it, we're not advocating here, go die, you know, go physically die. But there is a sense of sacrifice that is implied in our job description. We are to witness like John, be up front, be truthful about our message, and not shy away from it. It's not popular to preach about Jesus Christ at work. It's not popular to say you're a Christian. It's not popular to be in a party setting or in an office party setting and, and everyone's having a good time. And then they ask, hey, what do you do? Well, what's your job role? Or what, what do you do for fun? Oh, I go to church. I go to that new church that Kanye is doing in California. That's the type of church I go to. Uh, you know, kind of, it's just not, it's not, it's not a good thing to, to talk about sometimes. And, and I remember before when, when people would ask me, well, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I can say I'm a theologian. I can say I'm a church history professor, kind of, almost. But I always was shy away, like, I'm a pastor. But that doesn't. You know, I don't do that now. Now when they ask me, I say it with conviction. Hey, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, moving on. You know, let me go talk to somebody more interesting, uh, not to uh, a narrow-minded person. Uh, and, and so it's a difficult environment to live in when Jesus Christ is minimized by culture. They like a certain type of Jesus that just loves people. But other than, but this whole salvation thing, it just not, doesn't fly with people. But this witness is what John accomplishes and what God is supposed to do in John's life. And more than anything, he is an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He sees what he does. He sees him coming in. And we'll read in verses 11, 12, 13 that he, that he confesses what he does. Jesus Christ is here to save humanity and this is wonderful because John the Baptist gets to witness the acts of Jesus and gets to speak on them. And, then, and he gets to put himself to the side. I am not him. Someone's coming after me that is much greater than I. This is John. This is our, our, our job description to a certain extent. It isn't to show off our life and our lifestyles and all our great accomplishments. I know how tempting that is. I know how that important that is in our culture. We're like, whoa, well, I, I did this. I graduated from here. I, I have this type of job. I have this type of career. I, I make this amount of money. I'm in the six figures now, you know, and I'm only 28 years old or I'm only 34 years old and I make six figures and this is, the, this is where I live. And this is where, I know it's tempting to present that because that's what this world is in awe of. But that's not who we are supposed to proclaim. We're not here proclaiming ourselves. How sad would that be if our message as Christians would be about our experiences? It's about Jesus Christ and being a witness to him. John himself, in his humanity and in his frailty, we won't read it in the Gospel of John, but Luke presents John's humanity up front because John himself wanted to make sure that he was talking about the right person. He's in prison in, in Luke chapter 19, and he sends his own disciples to talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, are you the one? Like, I'm in jail right now. I'm in prison suffering right now. Are you really the guy? Like, I want to make sure that I'm in jail for a purpose. 
We get to see John's frailty here. But he confesses who he is, and he shows that he is the light of the world. John is not the important person here. It's what he does with what he has been commissioned to do. It's the object of his witness that's the most important fact in this portrait of a person. John portrays an example to us that should lead us in our time together as a congregation. This is what we are to do. This is who we are to preach and how we are to preach it. With conviction, and we shall not shy away from the preaching of Jesus Christ. John also, the gospel writer, presents this final aspect of John the Baptist's life. So we get God's plan in the grand scheme of things at the beginning. We get God's focus on a messenger, which will carry a message that is more important than the messenger. And then we finally get to God's purpose in sending this messenger. And what's the purpose? Well, we find the purpose in verse 7 again. So we read it from the beginning. He came as a witness. Here's the messenger that God is talking about. And here's his job description. To bear witness about the light. And what's the outcome of bearing witness? That all might believe through him. So his job description is preach Jesus so that through you, many will come to Christ, will believe. That's another big word in the Gospel of John. Ninety-eight times he brings this word pisteo, which is faith or belief, into his Gospel. 98 times the gospel, the whole New Testament uses it rough, roughly 230 times. And 98 times we see it in the gospel of John because he's, he's bringing this witness to light so that all may believe. My friends, this is, this is our calling. This is John's calling. You are to preach this gospel for people's salvation. People's lives are literally on the verge of life. And death, and as a messenger of Christ, you are to preach salvation so that they walk in the light and not in the darkness. The work of John here, his life ministry, is summed up in one verse. His epitaph will just say that. He came to preach Christ. That's the only thing that matters. And that's why these two, three verses are so minimal because they're just giving us what the whole purpose of John is. It's to preach Christ so that all may believe his message. Obviously, not all did believe his message. Obviously, this message rubbed people the wrong way. Obviously, this message was so convicting that it made people angry enough to take his head. Henry was, was presenting J.C. Ryle's holiness book. It's a great book, 18th, 19th century writer. Amazing. If, if you like to read, you should really get that book. It's about 500 pages, but get it. It's really good. You could read it in two weeks if, if you really put your head to it. Um, but that book talks about this aspect of holiness that, that is needed in every believer. And so John the Baptist is confronted by the 
by his authorities, and, and they're into this weird marriage kind of thing. And John says, that's not right. That's not holy. And what was the reaction? Well, we don't like your holiness. We don't like your holiness talk, so give us your head. See, holiness is what separates God's people from the rest of the world. And it's the message of holiness because God is holy that we are to preach it. So I pray that you read the book, and I pray that you read the Bible, and I pray that you read 1 Peter so you can understand what it means to be holy. But that's, that's involved in the message. Jesus Christ is separate, is distinct, is perfect, and he's holy. And our standard of holiness should be measured on his standard of holiness, not on each other's standard of holiness. Well, he's not that holy, and he's been coming to church for 20 years. Well, look at him. Look at their life. Look at that. And so we measure our holiness based on other people. Well, the, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God is our standard of holiness. And once again, that's entailed in the message. So the message itself is not an all-popular message either. Yet John is convicted, and as a witness, this, these legal terms, it's a witness for people so that they believe, so that when they do believe, they're believing the entire gospel. It's, it's easier for us to sugarcoat the gospel by, by trying to present, and that's, that's the problem with many modern churches. They, they try to sugarcoat the gospel in a sense to cater to the needs of, these, of this community, of our culture. Like, like here, if, 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 you, if you come to Christ, this is the wonderful part of Christ. He loves you. Come as you are. You're so, I mean, he he's loves you. He's chasing after you. He's yearning for you. He's crying. I've heard pastors say he, he cries for you. And he loves you so much, and, and he's going to give you a better life. And, and so we have to sugarcoat the message all the time. And then so when people believe, and they're like, you know what, that, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I'm going to be part of this church. I want to I wanna do, I want that. that and so we sugarcoat it, and then when we confront with holiness, they're like, well, dude, you just did a bait and switch on me. Like, you were telling me all this. You didn't tell me I had to change my life. You didn't tell me I had to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. And now you want me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? Oh, well, I'm cool. I'll leave. I'll, I'll go to another church that will allow me to sleep with my girlfriend. And so we begin to sugarcoat things that doesn't present the true gospel. And so we're not called to do that. We're called to preach Christ and everything that it entails on following Jesus Christ. And it's not popular, friend. But it's something that we have to do. It's something that John the Baptist did and was commissioned to do by God himself. So the greatest need of this world in a dark period was Jesus Christ. And John was at the forefront of presenting this light. God, in his divine plan, saw the darkness of humanity, saw the, the wickedness of humanity, and he sent them a Savior in Jesus Christ. And now as a church, we are all called to witness to him. If you see what I see in this world that we live in today, we see it's a dark place. Not only geologically, but in racial discrimination and everything that's going on even within our country on the political atmosphere. It's a mess. And during this time, the church needs to rise up and preach Christ.
and let people know who Christ is. I know there's so many other things that we could be talking about, like, oh, how do we fix this problem? How do we fix poverty? How do we fix this? How do we fix, I mean, there's so many other things that we could be talking about, and that's good. But preach Christ first. Preach the gospel. Because, friends, to a certain extent, that's what the church has been called to do. So I pray for you guys that when you leave this place, you don't leave here with, with just kind of a checkoff list of what you did on Sunday, but you leave here with a commission. Do your work. Get yourself to work. Preach the gospel. And I dare you to preach the gospel tomorrow morning at work. Go with your friends tomorrow morning at work and talk to them about Christ and see what they say. And I'll be praying for you while you do that. Amen? Let's stand up. Tell the person next to you, glad you came to church today. And if you can invite them out for lunch, that'd be even better. That'd be kind of a cool thing. But let's pray. Let's put and 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 let's be a church that that understands their mission. Amen. Father, thank you for for entrusting us with your purpose. Thank you for entrusting us with your plan. Thank you for choosing us to accomplish your goal. Father, you don't need us but you've chosen us. You've took out the church, separated the church from the world because the, wor- the church has a message the world desperately needs. And Lord, I pray that you take away all shyness, timidness, embarrassing thoughts that we may have about what it would be to preach Christ at work, at school. I, think, I pray that you take that all away from us. Because it's not about us. It's about you. So we pray that we become a church that doesn't shy away from evangelism, that doesn't shy away from being a true witness, that understands the sacrifice it entails. But Father, the, the inheritance that we will get when we see you face to face is so much greater. We pray that you bring many sons to glory, that you bring many people to know who you are through your church. Pray all this in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen.